Today we deal with the 18th message in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we invite your attention to the sixth verse of the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. It will be the second message on the subject of spiritual desire from the text which our Lord gives us, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, the emphasis of our Lord upon each of these Beatitudes is that the people who manifest these blessings in their lives, they and they only are the ones which receive the reward with more blessings given them. That is, in this statement here, it is only the ones who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness that are going to find spiritual satisfaction. It is not just a group and maybe some others that might partake. It is only these. And with all of the others, those who are experiencing poverty of spirit, they and they only are in the kingdom of heaven. And those who are mourning, they and they only are finding comfort. And those who are meek, they and they only are being able to inherit the earth. And then we come to this great statement today, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. A brief review of what we dealt with last week in our assembly. First, what this spiritual desire is represented by the bodily appetites of hunger and thirst is not. We found out that it was not merely the pursuance of religious activities, such as that in the days of the Pharisees and such as that in much of our modern churchianity, in which that religious activity runs here and there and everywhere, but just because that we may desire to be active in religious affairs does not necessarily mean that we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Secondly, this is not mere morality and decency, being a good neighbor, as defined by human standards, because human standards vary as to what morals and decency are from one generation unto another. So it is not a person who's sitting out here and saying, well, I'm just going to be the best neighbor that I can, the best person I can, as to what our community thinks a good person is. That's not what our Lord is pronouncing a blessing upon. And then thirdly, this hungering and thirst is not the mere realizing that something is lacking in my life. Nearly every person, for that matter, it could probably be said every person, has a realization that there are some longings that they have in life which reveal that they're presently lacking satisfaction and contentment. Now, this is not what we're talking about. Every person that acknowledges something is lacking in their life does not, it does not mean that they have been blessed of God. Now, if this is not what it is, then let's go then today, as we found out last week, what this blessedness actually is. We found that righteousness, which the person is hungering and thirsting after, means salvation. And we established that from the Old Testament in the way it was used interchangeably, that God will clothe us with his robe of righteousness, with his salvation shall he cover us. Then we went on to find that salvation is a broad word, 
describing all of the spiritual blessings which have been purchased for us in Christ Jesus. It involved the forgiveness of sin that we just sang about in the song, that the forgiveness whereby our sins are canceled and done away with, never to be brought again to face us as a believer. But we also found out that it involves the blessing of sanctification, the cleansing from the daily power of sin that we just sang about a moment ago. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Our sins are canceled in justification, but justification does not break the power of sin. It is sanctifying grace, which now we desire to have daily in our lives to make us clean within. Then there is the great future aspect of salvation when that trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord and that's called glorification where we'll never live again in a world of sin. Be free from sin. And all of this is included in salvation. Now when Jesus tells the person, blessed is the person who is desiring righteousness, what he is setting forth is that this person has a conscious awareness that he desires to be a partaker of the full salvation that's found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not just a part, but everything that God has for his people, this person is desirous of being a partaker in that righteous salvation which is found in the grace of God. Now, today we want to illustrate from Scripture this desire for salvation or desire for righteousness. Turn with me now for an Old Testament example of this hungering and thirsting after righteousness to the book of Psalms, chapter 42. This is not a psalm of David. It is another individual which wrote this, so we will not refer it as being to David. But this psalmist gives us the example of what our Lord was telling his hearers as to what constituted true blessedness. Evidently, this man was a Christian, or he was a godly man. He had already believed in the Messiah. He had already experienced the forgiveness of sin and having his sins canceled. Now, what is his desire now? Is his desire settled and he now sees himself as content now then that he has had his sins forgiven and canceled? Or does he yet find within his bosom a still a continual thirst and hunger for more of God. Now, let's see what he says in the first verse, the 42nd Psalm. As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear? Before God. Now, this individual was a believer. He knew what it meant for to have faith in the coming Messiah. But he also knew that even though he had embraced this Messiah in faith, that he had not yet been made a partaker of the full salvation which the Messiah had provided for those who were to believe in him. 
But he was thirsting for more of God in his life. And that thirst, he indicates, shall continue until I come to appear in the very presence of the living God. And he says, as the deer goes down to the rivers, and as they thirst for the waters to give them satisfaction in their life, so my thirst is for God, not just any God, but the living God. The God who's active in my life, the God who has blessed me and provided all these spiritual blessings for me in this Messiah. Oh, I want more of those blessings. And I thirst out after them as the way that the deer thirst out after the waters out of the river in order to be satisfied. So here is an illustration of spiritual thirst, desire in Scripture which an individual is called by our Lord as a blessed individual, an individual which has been poured out or had poured out upon them the unmerited favor of God and has blessed them. And God says, here's what they look like. Here's what they long for. Here that in the innermost bosom, oh, to know more of God and the more of his word and to be able to live in his presence and enjoy his fellowship. Now, here's an Old Testament example. We could bring others, but time will not permit. But let's go to the New Testament to show that this same spiritual desire is found there. We pull out the example of the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of the epistle to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, and now we're going to let the Apostle Paul, in my estimation probably the most godly man who has ever lived other than our Lord himself, although if Paul were here this morning, and he would be here to tell us about what he was like when he was still in the flesh. He would tell us, I was the most ungodly man that lived. <laughs> and that's the way with a godly man. For he would say, I know that in me it is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And whatever I am, I am by the grace of God. Would be Paul's testimony if he came here today and described his life in the flesh. But let's let him tell us what he thought of himself before he was converted before he was blessed by God's grace, and then let's let him tell us what he thinks of himself and what his desires are after he has been converted. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul says that there's anybody who had any basis for being content and satisfied with their heritage, why, it's me. I had it. I had all the marks of everything that was required. First, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I came into this world right. I was administered the proper ordinances or ordinance in my birth. Of the stock of Israel, I'm pure-blooded. I'm not mixed in with those Samaritans, though they're mixed and mingled with the Gentiles. I'm a pure-blooded Israelite, and I belong to the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was the prince of the Hebrew people, a ruler of them. As touching the law, as what I believed about the law, I was a Pharisee. 
Now, that was the more zealous, the more conservative of the branches of Judaism. The Pharisee was the fundamentalist, the conservative. The Sadducee was the liberal in that they believed uh, not in the resurrection. They didn't believe in that. And so Paul says, I was a conservative Israelite. I believed the Bible. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. That's how much I thought I was doing the will of God in putting these heretics to death. I was zealous for my God. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says I could go home every night as an external Pharisee, and I could pull out those Ten Commandments there upon my wrist or upon what I was supposed to bind them on my forehead. And I could go down those Ten Commandments, and every one of them I could say, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And I could go to bed tonight, and I could pray, Oh, Father, I thank Thee I'm not as other men are, and sleep. He says, if there was anyone which was content and was satisfied with their religion, it was I. It was me. But now then, something has happened in Paul's life. For we read now in verse 7, he begins to tell us about a different man. A man who now has a different view of himself. No longer self-righteous, no longer content with his religious activities, but now we find a man who is absolutely possessed with the obtaining of an object which he has not yet fully obtained. Now, let's look at him as he tells us. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All of these plus marks here, my righteousness, all of those good things which I prided myself in, I now count them all but loss in order that I might know Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all of those things which I formerly was content and prided myself in, my religious deeds, my church activity, my natural heritage, I've lost confidence in all of those things now, and do count them but dumb, that I might win Christ. And that's put in there by the Holy Ghost, dear people. And that's a very mild word to what it is in the original. And some of us would might be very embarrassed if we had to translate this word here and use it in our assembly. But it means putrefying refuge, excrement from the human body. Paul says, all of those things which I prided myself in and was contented that as I stood before God, these things set me apart from other men, and because of my actions and so forth, I was a separate person from other people. Paul says, I now view them as a pile of manure. That's exactly what he's saying. In order that I may know Christ in the free pardon of sin. 
Now, there's a principle that has to be brought out here at this time. And that is the principle which is set forth by the prophet Isaiah in the 64th chapter, or I believe it is, and verse 6, which says, All our righteousnesses are as, what? Filthy rags. And dear people, you and I will never hunger after the salvation that's in Jesus Christ until we are brought to see that our, not only our sins, but our best deeds in the sight of God are like a pile of dirty rags. You go out and you talk with people on the street, and if they're not experiencing the grace of God, you try to get them to confess whether they're sinners or not. You say, now you know that we are all guilty of sin, don't you? Some of them may sort of gulp and swallow and not reply. And so you have to say again, now you know that everybody's a sinner, don't you? And finally, maybe after a short period of time, they may say, well, yes, I've done, I guess, a thing or two in my life that's not so, so good. But just a moment, I do want you to know I have a few pluses in my life. And then they get out their little notebook and start saying, oh, but I'm just as good as anybody in your church. I am a good neighbor. I haven't robbed anybody. And they start bringing out all of these good things, which are good in and of themselves, as we see good things. And so after that they have finally acknowledged one or two things which they might have done which were wrong, then they get out their checklist of self-righteousness, and then they just pride themselves and saying, here's what I am. And you know what God does at that point? He says, when you finish with your list, here's what I think, not of your sins and your bad deeds. Here's what I think of your good deeds. They're like a pile of stinking rags. You mean God really talks that way to people? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And a person will never desire the righteousness that's found in the grace of God until they are brought to see their own unrighteousness. And you and I will never hunger for any more knowledge of the salvation that is available in Christ Jesus until we see ourselves as what we are in the eyes of God. Now, the Apostle Paul is experiencing this. He says, here's what I was, and now then, since my experience on the road to Damascus, when I was smitten down off my horse of pride, and I had to lay there in the road, and I had the Lord revealed unto me, he said, something has happened. Now then, look in verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain 
unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, notice what Paul is saying. I have a new pursuit now. And I am no longer content with the way I stood before God, but I want to have a righteousness which is found outside of myself in Christ. And this is what I am pursuing after. And I'm going to keep on until the resurrection of the dead. Now, was Paul content with his present state of affairs? Look at it in verse 12. Had Paul viewed that he was already a recipient of everything which God had for him in Christ Jesus? Had he been a partaker of that? Look in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, there's something out there ahead of me, and I'm after it, and it's perfection, but I haven't obtained it. But I have been apprehended by Jesus Christ in order to be made partaker of his glory. And because I've been captured by Christ, I am pursuing after that object which I now desire to apprehend or capture. And that's the full salvation that's in Christ Jesus. And so he says the result of this, brethren, I count my... Not myself to have apprehended. I haven't received that for which I'm desiring. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, do you see that? Paul says, I have come this far. And it's been by God's grace as he's revealing this knowledge to me of all this salvation that's available in Christ. But he says, I have one goal in life. And may I interject this? It was not so that he might get up in the denomination of the Hebrews. Paul was not interested in being no, any longer the chief of the Hebrews. He said, I've got one thing I'm after, and that is to be like Jesus Christ in all that he has designed for me to be. And if men think I'm a nobody, then they'll just have to think that because I'm not pursuing after that which is pleasing to the eyes of men. I'm not doing that which men think I ought to be doing, but I'm pursuing after what Jesus has saved me for. And he's continually got this object out here ahead of me. I'm pressing toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, dear people, that's spiritual hunger and desire. That's a thirst for all there is in Christ Jesus. Now, what are some implications? We've given you two illustrations of spiritual desire in Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Now then, let's look at some implications for the professing church of Christ to consider in light of this teaching of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. First of all, 
the modern church of Christ needs to realize that those who are contented with their present state of righteousness will find no appetite for God's word. If you're full, you're not going to be hungry. Now, that's just a natural fact of life. If I am contented, such as I am right now, with my, what my body is telling me, then I'm not going to be so hungry after that which my wife is going to be preparing here. But you wait about another 45 minutes, and it will be another matter entirely. As long as I am content with my present state of affairs, I will not find a desire for more. Now, at the same time, the modern church needs to consider that those who are hungering for God discover that even God's bitter reproofs are sweet and desirable. And I have a verse of scripture for that. Turn back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27 and verse 7. There are objects of food which I do not really care for. I have a real difficult time with green beans. But I know green beans are good for my system. My wife finally gets a few of them down by fixing some onions and some hamburger meat in with it, and I get them down. But those things have a bitter taste to me. But they are sweet to my system. They're needful, a green vegetable. And there are some things, ladies and gentlemen, that I read in God's Word that from time to time they're just very bitter for me to swallow. Because of my flesh and what I find myself desiring or participating in. But God says that the person that's hungry, when he comes to those portions in the word of God, he even realizes that the bitter things are good for him. How many of you realize that when the minister or the Sunday school teacher teaches something, that really what we call steps on your toes, it's good for you if it's true? Hmm? Do you get huffy or do you say, I may not like that, but it's good for me. It's good for me. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. The full soul loatheth or hates a honeycomb. Now, if you know anything about honey, that's very sweet, isn't it? And usually we have sweet tooths. But the writer says that a person who's full doesn't even have an appetite for that which is sweet. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Oh, what a passage of Scripture. To the person who is full, even the sweetness of honey, they have no taste for it, no desire, and they will despise it. But to the hungry soul, even that which is bitter will taste sweet unto them. You take a person who's starving to death, he's not going to argue if somebody puts green beans out there before him, he's going to eat them and swallow them. But if I'm not too hungry, then that'll be another thing, you see. But even the best food, if I have no appetite for it, I will not desire it. Now, bringing this into the spiritual realm... 
We've already seen a principle that when we find ourselves guilty of breaking God's will in our life and he sends messengers through the Holy Spirit, through the ministers and through the word of God, and he convicts our conscience and it reproves us to the person who's hungering after the likeness of Christ, wants to be all that Christ has him to be, even those bitter reproofs. He says, yes, Lord, that's good for me. I needed that. Like the little ad on TV with the aftershave lotion. The fellow slaps himself in the face and says, thanks, I needed that. Thanks, I needed that. And there are times when you and I need the reproof and correction of God upon our life. And how will we react to that? If we are content with our own way that we're living, we will hate that. But if we have a hunger to be like God and all that God has for us in Christ, why, we can say, thanks, Lord, I needed that. I needed that. The second principle or implication of this teaching for the modern church is this, that only those hungering after God will have the understanding of God's mysteries revealed. Only those who are hungering after God will have the understanding of God's mysteries revealed unto them. Now we must go back to a passage of Scripture which may be bitter. All right? So we ask you to swallow that and be prepared now for the green beans. If we can put it in that, uh, in that setting. Turn back with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, and verse 13 and 14. God gives a promise here to a person if they will follow after that which he desires. Now listen carefully. Isaiah, chapter 58 Verses 13 and 14. God's going to pull out what's called the fourth commandment out of the ten. And he's going to use that as an illustration here as to what pleases him. That fourth commandment involves the Sabbath day, the holy day of God. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord." And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob my father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I fear that some of my hearers in the congregation today feel that in order to understand the mysteries of God, you've got to have an IQ of 160 plus to be able to understand the Bible. 
May I say that is not the case? The problem why we do not understand more of God is not related to our mental IQ. It is directly related to our spiritual desire for how much of God we want to know. And God says there are some things which kill that desire or dampen it. And that occurs when you eat between meals. That occurs that when you see a child come to the table and you have set something down before them which you have worked and slaved and, oh, you ladies or some of you men, have got it all so marvelously prepared there. And it's excellent food, seasoned right to the taste. And then that husband put me in there. And those children come and they pick and they hand it down to the dog back at the table. And they just, after you've finished the meal, I hear their plates are still filled with the food that you've worked so hard to put it before them. Now, any mother knows that there's something wrong unless there's sickness involved. Somebody's been eating between meals. Something's taken the edge off the hunger and off the thirst. And God says to his people here, and this commandment is still in effect for our day and age, For Christ did not come to do away with the law, but he came to give us grace to make us partakers of an ability to love the laws of God. And he says, if you will refrain from seeking what you normally desire to do during the week, whether it be with a worldly occupation or a recreation, if you will cease to do what you want to do on the holy day, and delight in my day as a day of holiness, not a holiday, but a holy day, which is set apart for you to think upon me, to take inventory of what I have done in the lives of my people. If you will do that, my friend, I'll enable you to walk on the high places of the earth, and I'll give you the food of Jacob. You want to know why some people grow and grow and grow in the Lord and others are content with their present spiritual condition? My friend, it's because those individuals are hungering and thirsting after the holy things of God. That's the simple reason. It is not because they study the Scriptures more they may. It is not because they have an intellectual capacity far beyond yours and mine. It is directly related to the way that they are dealing with their God and what their God says is more desirable than what they desire. I have found this true in my own life, that the more of the Sabbath day I devote to God and taking inventory of my own self, 
that since I started doing that as a Christian, I have had more understanding given me of God than all the years previous to that. My friend, I don't think that I can go out on the Lord's day and do things which are good and legitimate on the other days of the week and expect to be able to get into the Word of God and find the mysteries of God just coming out of those scriptures. Is it bitter? The hungering soul says, Lord, thanks, I needed that. But if you are spiritually content with your present life today and your relationship to the commandments of God the way Paul was to his, my friend, I imagine that there will be some hatred and some dislike of what we're just saying here. The modern church needs to recognize that God's things are holy things and it is the pursuit after the affairs of the world that cuts the sharp edge off of our capacity to understand the things of the Lord. All right, we'll pass on quickly. The third principle and final one is this, that the church needs to learn today from this principle of hungering and thirsting, that biblical godliness is not a soul who is at ease with himself, but it is a soul who is a thirst for God and righteousness. It is not the person which has sat down and has stopped growing because he's no longer interested in growing. And he's perfectly content with himself. No, that's not godliness. A godly person is a person who is not at ease with himself, but is a soul which is a thirst and hungering for the things of God. This is seen in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. A text of scripture which we presented to you a couple of weeks ago when we were dealing with the subject of meekness. And there we found that the apostle tells this young minister that contentment with the material things of this life is a great blessing when that is coupled to godliness. But godliness is not a present contentment with what I presently have of God. Godliness is the very opposite of the man tearing down his barns and building bigger barns in that he's saying, I'm not satisfied with my present status as it is, but he's seeking after the present things of this world. Now, godliness is when God converts that hunger from this present affair unto that which is in Christ. And a godly person is tearing down his life and he's building bigger lives. He wants more of the grace of God. The same way the ungodly man wants more of this world, but he's perfectly content with his understanding of God. Tear it down. Build bigger barns is what the ungodly man says. For gain is godliness. The godly man is one 
who is meek and content with whatever food, clothing, and shelter God gives him. But he, while he is at ease in his world with that, he is not at ease with his lack of understanding that is available in the knowledge of God. He's hungry for that. Now look at what Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. He's a proud man if he's not a godly man. Knowing nothing but doting or arguing about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, Timothy. You see that man over there who's dominated by tearing down his barns and build dig- build, building bigger barns? He says that man doesn't have the truth. He's devoid of it. He thinks that material gain is an evidence of God's blessings upon him, Timothy. But Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. But while we are content with the physical things of this life, he says, Timothy, you pursue after godliness. You pursue after that high calling that's for you in Christ Jesus. And that's going to be a lifelong pursuit, dear people. We never obtain it. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's down there at the end of the race, not out here. We have obtained some of the salvation which is for us in Christ, but there's yet more to be ahead. Now, Paul gives Timothy another warning. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Now, notice that. Flee the lust for this present affair of life and follow righteousness. Pursue after it. Faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, Timothy, you watch for those who are pursuing after godliness and righteousness and you make friends with them. Those are the people you want to be with. Why, Timothy? Because they'll prod you. And you'll prod them. And you'll press each other on toward that mark. But, Timothy, look out. Those who suppose that material gain is an evidence of God's prosperity, of grace upon them, he says, withdraw yourself. Withdraw yourself. They'll kill your appetite for righteousness and godliness. May we learn a lesson as the modern church of Jesus Christ to hunger and thirst after that which is in God. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, again another day we complete the worship hour. I pray today that our hearts might have been searched. I pray that my heart has been. And Father, we've had to bring things today which my own heart has to say, Oh me, oh my. But Father, while it is bitter, yet I realize it is sweet because I can say from my heart, I do want to be like your son. And it is a burden to me yet in this life that I am living in a body in which that there are areas of my life which are not Christ-like. Oh, wretched man that I am, Lord, deliver me from this body of this death, and I'll thank you for the victory that is yet ahead for me in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray.
Amen.